Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 69 of the Mike and Dave podcast. This is Mike, and we've got what may be a shorter episode this time around, but some important things to talk about nonetheless. We have our reaction to the seeding slash selection of the four teams that are going to make it to the college football playoffs. The last time that we have a four-team bracket, thank God. And we have the results of the inaugural NBA in-season tournament. So we're going to respond to that as well. And we'll have the usual bells and whistles, you know, the hot seat, the fun fact, and to kick it all off, off the top. And if you've been keeping track, you know that it's Dave's turn to bring the prompt for that. So I'll kick it to him for off the top. Alrighty, folks. Um, what's up? This is Dave. And for off the top today, I felt like we had to talk about this. Even though we are normally a, a football and baseball, not even baseball, football and basketball podcast, uh, when certain things happen in certain other sports, we just kind of have to talk about it, or especially if it relates to one of our recurring segments, like off the top. All that to say, Shohei Otani just got paid an almost unfathomable amount of money. 10 years, $700 million. A contract, you know, we haven't seen the likes of ever in American professional sports. Um, and who knows when we will see again because Otani is a, a unicorn. Um, however, my off the top is kind of twofold for you, Mike, because news just came out. We're recording this on Monday, December 11th. News just came out that Otani decided to defer almost all of his contract to after the contract is over. So this is not something that we haven't seen before, but is pretty shocking to see because he will actually only be paid $2 million per season throughout the course of the contract. And then we'll get paid $68 million per year for the following 10 years. Apparently this was his idea. And the whole purpose behind this is to allow the Dodgers to continue to spend more money to try to put together, you know, a, a more complete team or with more, more star players and free agency, whatever. Um, so while he's there, they have a, you know, a better chance of winning a championship. There are a lot of opinions out there about this. Um, and just, you know, the, the few minutes that I've been looking at it and I wanted to get yours, Mike, um, obviously baseball, there's no salary cap. There are luxury tax, um, lines that or thresholds that when crossed, mean that you have to pay a lot more money, but there's really no penalties for it other than that. So, you know, obviously a team like the Dodgers, they can kind of do whatever they want because they're, you know, the, the richest ownership group. Um, and the one that, that typically splashes the cash. So with all that being said, how do you view this decision? Do you think that there should be, uh, you know, a rule against this type of thing do you think it's actually just like they're they can't say that i you know that i can't do it so i might as well defer the money i mean i'm going to get the money anyway and then now it'll give 
me a better chance to, you know, to win because the organization can spend more money with the money that they should be paying me. Um, you know, just kind of how do you feel about that decision? Is it right? Is it wrong? Should there be a rule against it? Just kind of want to hear your thoughts. Well, I can't necessarily say that it's wrong, given that there's not a rule against it. You know, um, like if you're allowed to do it, then I can't say like you're cheating or whatever. But I do think it's dumb to not have the salary cap. It seems like obviously whatever team has the richest ownership group is going to be able to put together, in theory, the best roster. Like, at least insofar as they can offer the most money to the most players, um, and that would theoretically give them a noticeable advantage. Uh, and this is an extension of that, where it's even more money that they have available to spend on other players in Otani's, well, probably competitive prime. Like, they're paying $2 million a year effectively for the next did you say six years? Ten. So the, the contract is 10 years, $700 million. And he's making $2 million per season, which puts him at $20 million over the course of his actual contract. So then that's $680 million that will be paid over the next 10 years, which is $68 million per season. Or not even per season, just per year, because he theoretically won't be playing anymore. So... I mean, we're talking about 10 years, $2 million a year for a player that, you know, uh, given health, will be one of the best, if not the best players in the league, most years, if not every year. Obviously, that means they're getting an insane value on that player. Uh, $2 million for a player that should be making closer to like 40 to $50 million. And that's something that, you know, at the end of the day, teams like, I don't know, like, shoot, the Braves. Like, uh, if you're the Braves, like, there's only so much you can do to compete with that kind of spending power uh, in the first place. Not to mention you have a superstar of their not being paid like a superstar while he's actually playing. Like, it's fair within the rules, but it's not fair within the context of the game. And like, this is one thing I appreciate about the NBA or the NFL, like that there is a salary cap that, you know, works to mitigate that sort of advantage that just naturally comes with teams with big time owners, teams in like huge markets. Uh, I will say for Otani, it's pretty savvy, you know, <laughs> like, okay, so over these 10 years, I'm I'm going to get paid $2 million a year. Um, and, you know, that's still a lot of money uh, compared to like, you know, what we do here on the Mike and Dave podcast. But then like into your retirement, when you're done actually producing, you're not actually making more money off contracts that you're signing, like new contracts to be signed. You're still making $68 million for the next 10 years. Um it's a pretty nice way to like fall back and like, or set yourself up with that money where maybe you're out of the league for like five years by that point. And 
you're not in that same culture of like spending money, being a superstar, all this, you're retired, you're at home, whatever. And you're still pulling in way more money, 30 or yeah, 34 times what you were being paid to play. My only concern for him would be inflation. And even with inflation, that's still tens of millions of dollars. It's not going to hit him that hard. He's going to be living it up as like a 40 something year old. Yeah. I mean, so he's also, I I think they estimated his off the field earnings just through endorsements and all that kind of stuff to be over 45 million a year. Um, because he's so popular, I mean, in the U S but also in Japan, of course. So that that's the reason why he was able to make this, you know, decision is like, he's already making probably around 50 million along with the $2 million, probably around 50 million a year. Anyway, he doesn't need all of that money right now. Um, the, the best way that I can like liken it to a different sport is let's say like, you know, LeBron, for instance, I don't know how much LeBron makes off the court, but it's got to be an absolute fortune per year, right? This would be like him saying, okay, I'm going to sign a max contract with the Lakers, but they're only going to pay me $2 million per season. And then they'll pay me that, you know, the next like 40, 50 million, whatever it is, whatever the max is now, um, you know, once I'm retired. Like, if you're thinking about it in those terms, it doesn't matter about the salary cap at that point, because if you're going to defer all this money, then it doesn't like the salary cap doesn't matter at that point. So it's just one of those things where it's like, it just feels unfair. Um, and like this huge competitive advantage. I think I saw something where he's going to be like the, you know, the 19th highest paid player on their roster or something. Um, and that's just not, that just shouldn't be the case, right? So, I mean, of course, it's it's his decision. He he can do whatever he wants within the context of the rules. But it is, in my opinion, it's a sad day for the you know the fans of every other franchise and just every other franchise in general who could you know who looks at this kind of thing and just says, well, the Dodgers just got the best baseball player in the world for the next 10 years and they're only going to have to pay him $2 million and which basically is nothing to them at all in terms of the payroll. So they, they can go out and do, it's literally like they didn't even sign him. It's like they, they got Otani basically for free for, you know, his actual playing career. And then now they can just go and spend whatever money they wanted to on him elsewhere is basically what, what's happening. So, you know, who knows how this affects things. 10 years from now, but obviously the Dodgers are not thinking about that. They're thinking about the 10 years that's yet to come. And it's been a long time. I know that they won the COVID uh, season, which I don't care what anyone says that will always have an asterisk on it. If the Braves won that year, I would say the same thing. Um, But now they're under real pressure to win. (laughs) If they... If they get, they have Otani and they can still spend however much money um, because of this deferred contract. Like if they don't win, it will be a catastrophic failure and honestly kind of hilarious. Um, So I already hated them. I hate them even more. And I've got to be honest, I respect Otani less because of this decision. Like I understand where he's coming from and you could say that he's like making a sacrifice 
in quotation marks, for the team. He's still getting paid the money. He still gets paid so much off the field that it doesn't really matter. And now he's basically bending the rules so that he can have a better chance at winning, which is like fair, but also that's not really fair in like the context of sportsmanship and like being fair across, you know, the entire game. So it's a very interesting debate for sure, but one that we've never seen a a contract like that. And we've never seen a deferral like, like that either. So we'll see how it ends up transpiring, you know, over the next however long, but yeah, when I, when I say respect to Otani, I definitely mean like from a business standpoint, because it does take away the, the competitive fervor, you know? Um, I mean, there's a reason we don't want to see like, how do I put this on the one hand, you look at like, take the Lakers, right? And if LeBron and Anthony Davis, instead of taking like 30 something million dollars a year each, if they took like 1 million a year each, then the Lakers could like go do some serious shopping and just stack their roster up with like an, like a team USA caliber starting lineup. And obviously like when players complain about their teams not being built right, you look at their salary and it's like, Oh yeah, of course they're not built. Right. Like, Look at the Chiefs. Like, of course, you can't pay good receivers. You're paying Patrick Mahomes all this money type of thing. But, like, at the, the end of the day, we also don't want to see them take less money. It's it's not going to be fun if we watch, like, LeBron pay, play for a million dollars a year uh, because it's like, okay, obviously, you just stack the odds in your favor just so you could get every good player on the team to take less money and win a championship. It's kind of like that with Otani. It's like, you know, granted – you, I think we'd see that hit basketball a lot harder than baseball, at least like in in that way, I guess. But we don't want to see players take less money on on salary just to like give themselves a competitive advantage. We want to see like competitive games, not just bending the rules to give you whatever gives you the best chance. Yeah, um, definitely an interesting debate, um, and. Buckle up because you're going to get a couple more interesting debates, um, you know, coming up here in a few minutes as we talk about the college football playoff seating. Okay, so now it's time to get into the college football playoff seating and who made it. I mean, obviously, when you're listening to this, this has been out for a little while. This is just the, you know, the first podcast after it was announced. So, this is our reaction to it. Uh, you know, it's no surprise, but Michigan at number one, Washington number two, Texas number three, and Alabama at number four. If you listened to our last episode, you would have heard us, you know, breaking down a lot of the different scenarios, what we thought could happen, what we thought would happen, and one of the big things that we kept saying was if Alabama beats Georgia, then it's going to cause some major problems. And that's what happened. Uh, UGA could not get it done when it mattered most after getting through the regular season undefeated, 29 victories in a row. And here comes Alabama and Nick Saban and Jalen Milrow 
and spoiling the party. Um, so we're going to just kind of have a, a conversation about our reaction to it. Um, nothing like formal or anything like that, but let's go ahead and start with that Alabama, Georgia game. And obviously this means Georgia missed out. Um, and Alabama made it in at number four. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can definitely understand the, the decision to put Alabama ahead because they did beat them in the conference championship game. But for Georgia, that's, I mean, that's a gut punch right there after being so good for so long, lose by three to your, like your most notorious rival of the last few years. And all of a sudden you're out of the playoff. I feel like I should preface everything I'm going to say for this segment with this statement. There were in my mind, between the conference championship games and selection Sunday, as it were, there were, as far as I was concerned, six worthy teams. And this isn't a hot take. Everyone knew what the six worthy teams were. They were the four that made it in Florida State and Georgia. So anything I say from this point on, know that I think that those other two were worthy. It was just you're narrow. You're going from six to four, and two teams are going to be upset. So... Looking at Georgia, give me a second because I have so many thoughts here. But number one, that is a gut punch. You lose or you win 29 straight games, you lose one. And then if you're a Georgia fan, you've got to be feeling like, wow, we we are getting punished kind of hardcore for one close loss after 29 straight and two back-to-back championships. When we all know good and damn well what makes good television is watching that two-time defending champion defend their title. Uh, Or even like if you're, I don't know, Washington, and your first round game is against Georgia, that's a ton of intrigue as a Washington fan. I mean, they're already watching because they're in the playoffs anyway. But like, oh, shoot, we could be the team that does it. We could dethrone them, you know, all this. All that said, Georgia is 0-4 against Alabama in SEC Conference Championship games. You've got to win that game. Like, I'm sorry, we talked about their cupcake-ass schedule multiple times this season on this podcast. You get your real test against Bama, and you don't pass the test. And Kirby Smart, I'm looking at you. I don't... There were times during that game where I was questioning if you had heard of Jalen Milrow before, because I'm watching that last drive and it's like, oh, we're prepared for the run. It's not going to be the quarterback though. That's not a possibility. Like what film were you watching? Like I, there is part of me that is sad for Georgia. Cause you know, everything I just said about the intrigue of the back-to-back defending champs and all that. But like, it's really hard to say like, oh yeah, we won all of our relatively easy games and then, lost the the main struggle game like the main game that was gonna was previewed as a tough game that's the one we lose but we deserve to be there at the end of the day the 29 doesn't actually mean anything the two championships don't mean anything because the job of the selection committee is to pick the four best teams this year and georgia didn't do anything to show at the end of the day like that weekend that they were one of those four most deserving best teams when the real time to showcase that was against Bama. They just didn't do it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they did, they were 
enduring some injuries to Brock Bowers, to McConkie. They had two freshmen playing linebacker, which probably had something to do with letting J- Jalen Milrow get those final couple of first downs at the end of the game there. Um, I mean, what's what's crazy, just to kind of shift the conversation a little bit, is that you could say the exact same thing about Michigan, except they beat Ohio State <laughs> in the championship game. Because we all know Michigan did not have a hard schedule either. Um, and it would have been, like, very easy for, you know – us to, to sit, sit here and, and be talking about, you know, Ohio state in the top four, maybe even number one, if they had beaten Michigan in that game, because uh, we know that they would have t- taken care of Iowa easily. Um, but Michigan did end up beating Ohio state in that, you know, that massive game. And therefore they, you know, were rewarded for it with the number one seed. Um, did they deserve the number one seed? I think they were the easiest answer to the number one seed. I'll say that Um, when you look at the, you know, the strength of schedule and strength of record and all that kind of stuff, they don't necessarily match up as well as some of the other teams, you know, the non-conference schedule, blah, 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 blah. Um, We won't even get into all of the Connor Stallions, Jim Harbaugh stuff either. Um, But at the end of the day, they won all their games they won the biggest game when it mattered, and here they are sitting at number one. And what is their reward? Getting matched up with Alabama, who just beat the number one team in the country. Uh, Merry Christmas, I guess. Great. Yeah. So, like the Georgia Ohio, or sorry, the Michigan Ohio State thing. Agreed. Like, if Michigan had lost to Ohio State you wouldn't have heard a word from me about deserving to make the playoffs. I'd have been like, well, that's it. And to my credit, that's consistent with how I've always been on this podcast. I have long said, as long as we've done this, the season doesn't matter until that game. Under like the four-team playoff system, the game, it just doesn't matter. We can't lose to them and not make it because the rest of our schedule is not going to be good enough. What Short of that, what would be our best win? Penn State, like whatever. Um But as for the number one seed, I'm looking at that Iowa game, and they covered the spread. We were given 22.5-point favorites, and we win a 26-0 shutout against what has to be a top 5 to 10 defense. I want to say they're ranked like fourth in total scoring, that Iowa defense. Um, So going 26-0 on them had to be, to me, why they, they get that one seed. I think like all else the same if we win that game like i don't know 16 to 13 or something then washington gets that one seed but not just coming out and winning the conference championship but doing so with that uh score at the end of it had to be convincing enough to just you know go from two to one um it it does suck that we'll be playing this without zach zenter um best player on our offensive line and it also sucks that like you said the reward for that quote unquote is playing alabama don't love that but if we can't beat alabama in the first round then like okay like if we don't beat them there then it means we wouldn't have beaten them in the championship anyway so got to get through them one way or the other Mm -hmm. 
That's fair. And that kind of brings me to Washington uh, because, you know, obviously we both picked Oregon to win that game on the last episode. And I think what we did not do is give Washington enough credit for finding a way to win all of these close games towards the end of the season. Um, They were many times where they could have broken, they could have folded, they could have finally not come through when it mattered most. But at the end of the day, they always did, and they did against Oregon twice. Um, And you got to give them some respect. And what's interesting, when you're thinking about, you know, who should be number one, who should be number two, if you, you know, kind of compare some of the, the stats to Michigan, um, you know, if you're the committee and you're looking at it, right, wins versus top 25 teams, Washington had five, Michigan had three. Wins against um, the top 35 in FPI, Football Power Index, Washington had six wins, Michigan had three. The strength of record, Washington was number one, Michigan was number two. Strength of schedule, Washington was 11, Michigan was 33. So in a lot of those, you know, those metrics, those are, you know, some of the big ones that they theoretically are looking at. Washington beats Michigan in every area. So in in some respects, it makes you think, hmm, I know it wasn't necessarily pretty. It wasn't a shutout or anything, but also Oregon's not Iowa. Um, Should Washington have been number one? I think they definitely had a legitimate case to be. Um, I know that the committee had some, you know, concerns about their their defense and, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, they played a, a harder schedule, came out 12-0. and 0. So I think they definitely, you know, could have felt that they were number one, but it landed them a matchup against Texas instead of Alabama. And to be honest, I don't really see that much of a difference uh, in, in that matchup. Um, obviously, Texas beat Alabama as everyone has talked about, but they're both really tough teams. So I don't, you know, I guess it's just kind of like, would you rather play, you know, Alabama or or Texas? At at this point, I don't really know because both of them have have shown that they're really, really good teams. Um, But, you know, you got to give Washington credit. They, you know, they were favored or, so I think Oregon was favored by like almost, double digits i want to say in that game like nine and a half or something and they they still won and they you know i I don't think they could be counted out at this point because we both counted them out and they proved us wrong and proved everybody else wrong so at this point who knows maybe they do go on to win the whole thing i think nine and a half was was the favorite too um yeah i mean you go out there to win football games. It doesn't matter by how many, it doesn't matter in what way. And Washington keeps doing that, you know? Um, Personally, I'd rather face Texas than Bama, but that's not a huge thing. Like, um, or it's not a huge difference to me. They're both great teams. And for that reason, like the number one versus the number two doesn't really matter to me. Like as a Michigan fan, the biggest Michigan fan I know. I couldn't care less that Michigan's number one right now, other than it, the fact that it means we face Bama, which bums me out a little bit. <laughs> like, I don't get any sense of pride of like from being number one. I just want to 
Like to me, it's immaterial until the job is finished. Um, yeah, we, um, we're definitely looking at Oregon who had been heating up and who'd been playing like, let's be honest, one of the best teams in the country at the time, but Washington got it done. And I will say, and this goes to both teams, but I guess to focus a little more on Washington since they won our focus as we were discussing, it was like, Oh, look at this, um, Heisman candidate matchup, neither of whom ended up winning, but you know, between Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. But the run game from both teams was fantastic. Um, it was really fun to see, like, in addition to the passing game, their ge- offensive games like develop and really get going in multiple ways in that game. It made whichever team won that game a scary opponent for whoever they had to face. Like, let's be real. Um, I guess for Texas, like, Texas was in the millisecond Alabama one. Because you already knew, like, okay, Alabama beat Georgia and Texas beat Bama. And the um, dude buddy whose name escapes me from the selection committee had said, um, we are looking at every game equal regardless of when it played. A win in September is equal to a win in November. Like, you already knew as soon as that quote dropped, Texas was in. Um, so Texas punched their, punches their ticket. And... Dave, I'm, I'm going to kick it to you here because there's one team we haven't mentioned yet and I'll respond to whatever you say, but it would be unjust for anyone but you to take the lead on this one. Florida State doesn't make it. Your thoughts? Huh. Um, I've had a lot of thoughts about it, obviously. I have vented my fair share by by the time we're recording. It's, the news has been out for, for a while, so I've had a while to stew on it. Um, and your, you know, four, top four prediction on the last podcast, um, you had Florida state winning, but not making the top four. And I had the same top four as you, except I put Florida state in at number four because I felt like they sh- should be there if they go undefeated. Um, that hasn't changed. Um, I think it is obviously one of the biggest debates we've seen in in years, just in the sports world in general, uh, of whether or not they should have gone in or not. I obviously, as a Florida State guy, um, I I can see both sides of it. I don't. I want to sit here and say like. I'm not going to sit here and just be like, no, like Bama doesn't deserve it. Texas doesn't deserve it, et cetera, et cetera. I can totally understand why they were selected. Um, what is difficult though, is when they, you know, they say quotes like, you know, wins in September are the same as wins in November and then hold the, the recent offensive struggles that Florida state has had against them but not, you know, earlier in the season when, you know, we were dominating teams. So it's just a little difficult. Obviously, all of this could have been avoided if Jordan Travis doesn't get injured. I just continue to feel so, so bad for him. Um, You know, when he tweeted after 
the news came out and said that he wished he had broken his leg earlier in the season so that everyone could have seen that it, the team wasn't just about him. That was just like, damn, like that, that is, that, that hits you right in the heart. Um, and it just, it just sucks for, for that guy whose story is just so incredible, whose rise has been meteoric and unfortunately whose college football career is over. Um, you know, as it's just, it's a brutal thing. Um, coach Norvell coming out afterwards and saying like, what am I supposed to tell the guys? Like, don't win every game. Don't try because it won't matter. Um, you know, after your leader, your your best player, your Heisman candidate goes down. What was he saying to the guys? We go undefeated, we're in. It's everybody, it's next man up. Everybody's got to do their job. This is a team. You know, we're going to fight all the way until the end, et cetera, et cetera. And they did exactly what was asked. And it still wasn't enough in the subjective opinion of a group of people. Um, and that that's just a, a tough pill to swallow. Again, if Jordan Travis doesn't get injured, I don't think that this I don't think that they get left out. Um it it would be a very interesting debate as to like at that point does the SEC actually get left out and do they just put Texas in at number four if everything else remains the same, but Jordan Travis stays healthy? Does that happen? Would they let that happen? I don't know. Um but Obviously, if that injury doesn't happen, then we would have been fine. If Georgia had just beaten Alabama, probably would have been fine. Um, but unfortunately, those things didn't happen. Um, things just didn't go their way. And this is the result. Um, Georgia and Florida State playing in the Orange Bowl, I think it is. Um, regardless of what whatever bowl it is, it's not one of the semifinals, so neither team really cares. <laughs> um, and, you know, this isn't going to really be an issue moving forward. We're going to have the expanded playoff. I don't think teams that are, you know, ranked 13th or, or you know, 16th or whatever are really going to, be too too mad like no one's really gonna listen to those complaints as much but in this situation in the last year of the four team format it just really sucks that it was my team uh, that got the short end of the stick and like I said I can understand the decision I can understand the reasoning I just don't think it's fair to those kids you can project and say that you know they wouldn't be able to compete whatever we saw tcu absolutely get destroyed last year um i understand all that but in my mind give them a chance to get destroyed <laughs> if they deserve it um you know if they go out there and and michigan absolutely gives them a, a beat down then okay they shouldn't have, maybe they shouldn't have gotten in, you know, whatever, but now we'll never know. Um, the, the defense that played their hearts out, they don't get a chance to prove that Rodemaker coming back from the concussion doesn't get a chance to prove that, you know, that he could step up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all I'm going to say about it. 
It was longer than I wanted to go anyway, but yeah, overall, I understand it, but I think it was an impossible situation, and it just so happened that my team got the short end of the stick, and I just feel bad for for Travis and for all those guys. Yeah, um, I agree with everything you said there. A couple thoughts. Number one, Mike Norvell, the one thing I would have added to his response to the situation is, I wish you would have told me two weeks ago that that we couldn't make it without Travis. I would have started my third stringers against Florida, since that game obviously didn't matter. I would have started my backups against Louisville. I would have seen what we had. I would have let players that are draft eligible rest and not risk their prospective careers because you could have told me it didn't matter anyway. Or you could have told me your games don't matter unless X, Y, Z happen. Instead, they give this facade when they probably know, knew good and damn well and were crossing their fingers, please give us a reason to exclude Florida State. Um, I really like something that Booger McFarlane said, which was they didn't like that Florida State was winning without it being sexy. They were winning those last couple games with staunch defensive play, which isn't pretty. But it gets the job done. And at the end of the day, you play football to win. It doesn't matter if you drop 50. It doesn't matter if you drop six. If you win, that's what counts. If you're in the championship, if you win three to nothing, you won the championship. What does it matter how they win if they're winning? I feel really bad. You talked about feeling bad for Jordan Travis, which I echo that. I feel really bad for Tate Rodemaker because what the selection committee is doing, and you said it, they're saying to Tate Rodemaker, we don't think you deserve a chance to prove your worth. We are looking at you and two games that you played and one, and and we're saying, we don't care. You don't deserve a chance to do something bigger. You don't deserve a bigger stage. And this team is nothing with you. That's what they're saying to him. At the end of the day, that's it. Um, And Jordan Travis is saying it too, that this team is bigger than him. And the selection committee agrees with him. And it's stupid. And the biggest reason it's stupid is that is the storyline that we love about sports. Watch any Super Bowl. Who are most people rooting for? The underdog. And what would Florida State be? That. Ask any big-time sports fan you know. And they have a story, I promise they do, of a time where their team won a game because some random-ass dude just popped in the game and did it for them. Like, that's a thing. (laughs) Uh, Like, wherever you... Like, if you... For me, like J.J. Barea popping into the Mavs game in 2011 in the Heat against the Heat for the finals and then J.J. Barea going off like we know that he like exists as a role player but like Dirk Nowitzki excellent series but we remember those players that no one expected to do well doing well Kawhi Leonard wins finals MVP because of this and now Tate Rodemaker doesn't have a shot at it that's ridiculous it's asinine and I understand like 
the counter argument is okay so what you put in florida state without their best player and exclude bama who just won the sec championship against the two-time reigning champs it's difficult sure but if you're florida state what else are you supposed to do like I, the 12 team can't come soon enough and thankfully it literally isn't it's coming next year but this is it's just dumb it's robbery and again like i root for florida state in the or rather i root for florida state because you're my best friend and i root for the team you root for i want them to do well i want you to be happy with that but this could have been i don't know um this could have been Missouri. I don't know. Some random ass team. I would feel the same. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, in no other sport do they let a group of people, some of which who haven't even played the game, decide who makes it. Every other sport, there is whatever the box score says, whatever the final score is, that's what determines the outcome. And when it came down to it, there were only three teams that had no losses that were, you know, power power five teams. And two out of the three made it. And when you win all of your games and they still say, no, that's not good enough. Pretty much all just because of an unfortunate injury. It's just like, you know, the, the system is more flawed than the decision is what I'll say. Um, the, the fact that they had to make that kind of decision is a bigger problem than them leaving Florida State out. And so, like I said before, I can understand the reasoning behind it. I think regardless of what the situation was, someone was going to be upset, you know, probably multiple someones. I mean, let's look at it now. Like, some of these matchups, if we had that 12-team playoff this year, would be amazing. Um, I would love to get a chance to see, you know, some of these really big teams playing each other. I'd love to, and some of like the, the teams that had really good seasons, like I would have loved to see Missouri, like what can they do against like Texas or something? You know, I would have loved to see, you know, a lot of these bigger matchups. This would have been the perfect year for the 12 team playoff. Um, and yet it was just one year too, too early. Um, so all that being said, um, you know, hopefully Michigan goes on and ends up winning the whole thing for you. Um, you know, I I have to say I'm a little jaded, and part of me just doesn't want to watch the games at all uh, because I'm I feel hard done by. Um, I, I'm sure I'll still watch the games though. Um, mostly for, for your sake, but, um, but anyway, yeah, it's just, a a rough end to what was a great regular season in college football. To be honest this year, yes, it coincided with Florida State being good again, but this year really kind of captured my attention, um, which to be honest, had kind of waned in the, in the last few years, um, towards college football, um. And I just thought it was a it was a great regular season with a lot of, you know, a lot of intrigue, a lot of really good games. And, you know, I'm sure we'll have those again. But as of now, 
I, I do feel hard done by. And I don't think there's anybody out there that can't say that at least that it sucks. Um, and it's not, it's not a, a fair system, but next year it'll be different. Um, and you know what? Good luck to Michigan the rest of the way. Um, and if you know, if you're listening and your team is still in it, then best of luck to you as well. No hard feelings towards you. It's just, you know, somebody was going to get left out and it just happened to be my team. So, um, I think that should probably do it for this segment. Um, when we come back, we're going to get into the first, uh, ever in season tournament that just wrapped up, give our thoughts on it. And, um, and then we'll wrap up the show. All right. We've got one more, I guess, important segment to talk about, and that's the inaugural NBA in-season tournament, which has come to a close. We're done with the, the wacky-looking courts in Vegas. The Lakers, of course it's the freaking Lakers, have been crowned in-season champions. Everyone on that roster has received $500,000, and they have defeated the Indiana Pacers. 123 to 109. It was a fun time. Uh, cool new experience. Um, Dave, what are your thoughts on this first in-season tournament? Uh, my 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 thoughts are um, to disagree with what you just said that it was a fun time <laughs> and a cool new experience. Um, I disagree. Uh, to be honest, I could care less about the end season tournament. Um, I just, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I will say Tyrese Halliburton showed out and just in general, his play this season has been unreal. So I was, it was cool to see him play in that. Um, but to be honest with you, I just like, I it's almost like when the um, when the XFL started or something, and I was just like, "Meh, I'm not gonna watch that. I don't really care." It was the same thing. I mean, to me, it's like okay, you just make up rules in a tournament and just like say, "Here you go." Um, I just it's just not not for me. Maybe I'm just old or something. Maybe maybe there are a lot of people out there who really enjoyed it, but. For me personally, it's just kind of like, okay, like I guess good for the players who are, you know, on a lot smaller contracts to where that 500k goes a long way, you know, respect for that. But ultimately, in like, if we're talking about champions or you know we're talking about legacies or anything like that, I'm just not gonna look at at these games and I, they just kind of don't count to me in a way. Um, maybe 50 years from now, if they're still doing it, there'll be something there because it'll, you know, have been going on for long enough. But, but for me, it's just kind of a publicity stunt to be honest. And it doesn't really mean anything in the grand context of things like you to me, to be a champion, you you win the the NBA Finals, uh, not the end season tournament. But like you said, it is hilarious that the Lakers won, and of course LeBron won it. Um, 
So, for what that's worth. That's there are going to be people out there that say, this is why LeBron is the GOAT. Um, to varying degrees, some will make the, relatively speaking, um, merited argument like, Look what he's doing at age 38, you know, the standard thing, which would have been the case in any regular season game where he balls out. But, oh, he's stepped up when it mattered most, and he's still balling. He's still a top 10 player at age 38. Jordan was never, you know, blah, blah, Others on the opposite end of it will go, well, LeBron has an IST chip, and Jordan has none. Ergo, LeBron has something else on his resume that Jordan can never touch. I don't give a shit. Um, to respond more fully to what you said, there are things with which I agree, and there are things with which I disagree. Um, though I, I don't think I'd call it a debate. It's kind of funny. Um, I agree that I don't really care. Like, uh, there was a tournament and a quote-unquote champion, and I never cared if the Hawks were doing well in relation to the in-season tournament. Like, I cared about the Hawks winning games the same amount that I always did. They are beneficial in terms of A, development, and B, making headway towards the actual playoffs. I want the Hawks to win a championship. And if the Hawks had won the in-season tournament, my mood or confidence in them would, like the improvement in that would be marginal at best. I'm not, I wouldn't be making a Facebook post about it. I wouldn't be hype. We, it wouldn't merit its own like grand segment on the podcast, even though we're Hawks fans. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. It's another regular season game to me. I do like about Adam Silver that he's like, okay, there's a bunch of criticism, longstanding criticism, and like this general feeling that, you know, the NBA season starts on Christmas because beforehand there's nothing to make people give a shit about it when football season's happening. And at least they're freaking trying something, I guess. Like, um, and at the end of the day, like, it's not like a loss, you know, and I'm not saying that you were saying it's a loss, but like the seat, the games still count. They're part of that 82. And there's an effort there to like make people tune into the games a little bit more. And I haven't taken a look at the ratings to see if that actually panned out, though I'd be interested to see. Uh, they want the players to care more. And there's a little bit of incentive, you know, depends on depending on how much you make per year like that incentive relatively speaking increases or decreases but there is incentive nonetheless they're trying you know as a as fans i don't think there's that much i don't think even even lakers fans i don't think there are all that many they're like celebrating right now like let's go we won the ist no one gives a shit but like what i will say is all the games that i watched did feel different to some extent or another, than how games usually feel in mid to late November in the NBA. And what I was noticing was players did seem a bit more interested in winning those games because there was incentive there. 
And the one, like, and I guess the two things that I have to say about that are one, as a fan, it's, it gets you more involved. Like if I'm watching a team that I know really cares about whether or not they win, I naturally start to care more too. And number two, from a developmental standpoint, if you're the Pacers, right? Like probably not competing for the finals this year, but that is relatively valuable experience for players like Tyrese Halliburton to like, it's not the playoffs playoffs, but it is a series of moments where your star player and those around him are playing with something on the line on national television. And you can, as a coach, as a like developmental, whatever you can start to get acclimated to bigger moments. I think there's some value there, but yes, as a fan, like, What's it doing for us? At the like, most people were either already going to watch the game or they didn't tune in. I'm guessing. So maybe this is me just being ordinary. Uh, and, and if that's the case, then oh well. Um, I'm going to say it anyway. Please, someone tell me why NBA players should need more incentive to do their best and win games during the regular season than they already have via the contracts that they signed with the teams, with the the fans that pay a lot of money to come and watch them play, with, a, with the fact that every regular, regular season game counts towards the standings, which counts towards making the playoffs, which counts towards winning a championship. I don't understand why there should be any more incentive than that. I keep seeing this trend to where people just don't care about their regular season anymore. We've seen that we've seen this with baseball recently with, you know, the, the playoff format going under fire because, you know, it's a three game series or a five game series to determine who makes it to the next round after you play 162 games. That seems a little bit ridiculous, or the or the fact they keep expanding the playoffs even more, which means again the regular season doesn't matter as much because you don't have to fight for that you know for a certain seed. More teams are have a chance to make the playoffs at least via the play in than don't at this point. That's ridiculous. They're just making it into like there. Are, I understand the logic behind it of like more teams that have a chance the more that you know people will be interested the fans of those teams will be interested etc cetera, etc cetera. but in my mind it's just devaluing the what the regular season grind means and what players have always done throughout the course of the history of the leagues like what you're doing is you're just you're devaluing how good you can be, how consistent you can be over the course of the season to put you in a situation that gives you an advantage when the games are supposed to matter, which every game matters, but obviously we're talking about the playoffs, right? Like, I don't know who was asking for like a quote playoff type games before Christmas, but like if you were like... I'm sorry, man. Like the playoffs come at the end of the season. That's just how sports work. That and that's how where championships are won. It's after you win the playoffs. 
not after you win a random tournament that's just regular season games. You're just calling them tournament games, even though they're just normal regular season games. I just, I, I can understand that they're trying things and whatever, but in my mind, it's just devaluing what the regular season games mean. And also, apparently, the NBA is considering a rule change that means that whoever wins the in-season tournament automatically earns a playoff spot. And everything I just said, you can obviously tell how I feel about that. That is absolutely ludicrous. I saw a comment that said, oh, win the tournament and you're in the playoffs? Kawhi and Paul George about to get on that immediately next season. <laughs> I was literally about to say, like, I haven't even seen that comment, but that's where my head went. Like, we already have Paul George and Kawhi with the load management issues. So, like, while there may be a bit of disagreement between us up until that point, like, no, I, I think the the idea of a play-in tournament that ends in early December, four or five months before the season ends, getting an automatic in to the playoffs is the dumbest shit that I've heard like around the NBA, including the idea that LeBron is the GOAT. Like, <laughs> that is redonkulous. Because, um, like, okay, let's say the Hawks win. Why play Trey? Why play DeJounte? Why play Clint? Like, if the Hawks had won the, if that were the case and the Hawks win the in-season tournament, just start Kobe Bufkin, Seth Lundy, Garrison Matthews, like, just Bruno Fernando and Jalen Johnson for developmental purposes. Start them every game. Fans have nothing to come to the game for because they know the players don't give a shit about winning and neither do the coaches or management, hence the starting lineup they're putting out there. Like, yeah, like beyond counterintuitive. Like, I think there are some positives to take from the in-season tournament, but the notion that it should have a guaranteed berth in the actual playoffs completely delegitimizes the remaining regular season for those teams. You think Kawhi Leonard would play a single game after? No. Maybe on Christmas. Maybe, but again, that just goes to show, like, if you're trying to make money and you're trying to attract attention to the game, doing that via an automatic, you know, playoff spot with winning the tournament, that just, again, like you said, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so obviously I hope that they do not make that a thing because... Th that will genuinely make me mad. the The whole incident, like it's it's more of just an annoyance thing. It's just kind of like a why bother with this? It was fine the way that it was. Um, I understand trying things, but like don't make it into more than it already is. The only reason why like I don't care as much is because it's just like well they're playing the regular season games anyway, so it's not affecting things that much. Um, but if they start actually making rule changes like that that affect how the playoffs work, I already hate the play-in tournament to begin with. 
this would just take it to a new level for me. So, yeah, I mean, overall, like, good for LeBron, good for Anthony Davis for actually coming through and, you know, having a monster game in that, in the championship. Um, he was available and we've never said Anthony Davis is not a great player when he's available. Um, he just showed the potential of what he can be on any given night. Um, obviously LeBron, like you do have to give it to him. He, he is doing unprecedented things right now. Um, at an unprecedented age. So you have to give him some credit. Um, and you know what? Like I said, Tyrese Halliburton, I do think that without the in-season tournament, people would have started paying attention to the Pacers a little bit because of the historic offense that they've been putting up so far, but not as much attention would be going towards them. So I will say it, it is good for, you know, that smaller market team to get that exposure. Uh, because they have been playing so well this year. So that'll be the the one positive I think that I take from it is it it's shown a light on the Pacers and how, you know, they're surprising and honestly um intimidating start to the season has been in terms of, you know, offensively specifically um you know, giving that giving the general NBA public a chance to really see them on a bigger stage was a cool thing, but otherwise I, I could care less about it. If Tyrese Halliburton was already going to ball out anyway, then giving him the extra stage on which to do it is just icing on the proverbial cake. But we like Halliburton on this podcast, so that's nice to see for him, even with his funky ass jump shot but let us know your thoughts on the in-season tournament on facebook twitter and instagram at mike and dave pod obviously you've heard our thoughts um to varying degrees of agreement or disagreement but let us know what you think so when we come back we will get into the usual other segments of the hot seat and the fun fact so stick around okay so we are reacting to this very shortly after the game, day after, but Kansas City Chiefs lose to the Buffalo Bills. And here's why. Offsides on the offense, Kadarius Tony. Guessing a lot of you have seen it. If not, you must not have turned on like any sports media. In the past week, I guess, at this point. But Patrick Mahomes passed to Travis Kelsey. Hall of Fame caliber play, lateraling to a wide open Kadarius Tony, runs into the end zone, call it back. And cue the whining and the the fury of Mahomes and Andy Reid and a decent chunk of the NFL fandom. Um, the whole thing is, is bonkers. Uh, I guess like in terms of the hot seat, we could say like Kadarius Tony for being off sides, Patrick Mahomes for exploding about it, like post game and even into the, the post game dap up with Josh Allen, Andy Reed, uh, the fandom, the refs for calling out where, wherever you want to put it. So, 
let me get, I feel like I've been prompting you this way several times this episode, but again, let me get your thoughts on it, man. Yeah. I mean, so I was watching the game in real time and when Kelsey lateral lateral did to him and he ran it in, cause obviously this is at the end of the game too. This would have given them the lead potentially would have won them the game and they called it, you know, offsides on the offense, lining up the neutral zone, whatever. And my initial reaction was just like, who cares? Because that play was insane. And now it doesn't count. <laughs> and that just makes me sad. Um, because obviously like I love highlights and I love high IQ plays. And that was a great example of one with Travis Kelsey just doing his thing. And so obviously that sucks. And then there's the other element of it was the correct call because he was lined up off sides. So you can't necessarily blame the refs for calling it. Really the only person that is to blame is Kadarius Tony for not being able to even get lined up properly. That's one of those things when I watch football where I'm like, that should be the most basic fundamental thing that you do. Like you should not have pre-snap penalties because all of that is under your control. You know, if you, if you're the offense, especially, um, you know, you should understand the cadence. If, you know, there shouldn't be false starts. You shouldn't have illegal motions. You shouldn't have, um, you know, illegal formations, all that. Like people should understand where they should be when a play is called out and be able to just line up. If you can't do that, then what can you do, right? And so that's where I feel... I think a lot of blame can be spread around to a lot of people in the situation. But at the end of the day, if Tony just scoots his foot back by like an inch, then he's fine. Um, I can understand it seeming like it doesn't really matter, whatever. At the end of the day, that's the rule. So if you don't follow the rule, that's the referee's job is to call it. Um, They couldn't anticipate. Uh, anticipate that amazing play happening. It's just like, we're just going to call the, the the penalty because we saw it. So ultimately that the state of that receiving uh, room for the, for the chiefs is pretty dire. And I understand Mahomes frustration, you know, when you're, it is a team game. And when you're the best player and you're doing everything you can and your receivers keep dropping passes and getting, you know, pre-snap penalties, can't even get lined up properly. Like, it's got to be such a frustrating feeling. So I don't I don't really blame him for being frustrated. Although, it was a bad look with the Josh Allen thing at the end. I was just like, dude, that's... Go- if you want to go and complain to the media about it, that's fine. But on the field, like, I understand it's in the moment, but you can't just have you can't just say that to the guys you're like that's not that's just kind of awkward too like if you're josh allen you're just like okay (laughs) like my bad um yeah like if i'm josh allen am i supposed to be comforting you like they're there patrick put your head on my shoulder and cry you little bitch like (laughs) honestly man what the hell um so also what the hell to 
Wait, back up. Patrick Mahomes. That's disrespectful. Haven't gotten to say that in a while, but there we go. Um, but if you're Kadarius Tony, I'm just kind of shocked you caught the lateral since you've been struggling with catching passes all year anyway. Holy shit. Uh, if you're Andy Reid, like Dave was saying, like this is basic football. The play hasn't even started yet, and you can't line up right. Yikes. Uh, I mean, far be it from me to criticize Andy Reid when his uh, resume, his accolades far and away outweigh anything Tony will ever do. <laughs> like, let's be honest. But here's the thing. Everything Patrick Mahomes said is stupid. And I like Patrick Mahomes for the most part. He's the most talented player to ever touch a football as far as I'm concerned, or at least a quarterback. Um, but like one of his complaints was that the refs didn't warn them about it. Um, and here's the referee uh, response. Um, no warning is required, especially if they are lined up so far off sides where they're actually blocking our view of the ball. Seems fair. Um, he had that, that quote had been expanded to like, you know, we'll warn you here or there if it's like a marginal thing, but like the big play blocking instances are deemed, you know, flags. Um, and Mahomes said, well, like this is, these aren't, a, this isn't a conversation. These are just different things that he said. He said that, you know, in his several i think seven years of playing in the nfl he'd never seen that called well i guess it just hadn't been that egregious then if that's the case and he said you're gonna like you're gonna call back a play like you're gonna decide the game on that like it sucks for a viewer you know like we don't want those plays to get called back but if like you can't honestly expect the ref to be like okay that was a flat wait no i'm just gonna pick it up because that play was cool like that that instantly like disintegrates the integrity of the game if they're just because then it becomes arbitrary was that play cool enough to forgive the flag i don't know um and that's gonna piss a ton of people off <laughs> like uh will that make sc top 10 because then you got bills fans i don't think that play was cool enough you know uh you real you see the penalty you throw the flag that's how it works um and the other thing that he said that I didn't like was, oh, you got a Hall of Fame caliber tight end making a Hall of Fame play, and now this this play won't um, be a highlight anymore. I'm like, this has no bearing on Travis Kelsey's Hall of Fame campaign, okay? Travis Kelsey is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Don't even pretend that that's what you're thinking about. Like, that's disrespectful of me. I'm not an idiot. Like, this is you just bitching that you lost the game. Uh, it has nothing to do with how you think it impacts Travis Kelsey's legacy. We all know that, like, he's one of the best tight ends to ever play. He's a brilliant football player. Uh, that was a cerebral play. And people will still watch this highlight because it's nothing negative about Kelsey. His... um his brilliance still shines in this play. And then we just say, Oh, but, but Tony, like probably this play still gets. So I, I don't think that that's Come what on. he meant when he said that. I think basically what, what he was trying to say was Kelsey is like the one guy I can rely on. And 
it just sucks that somebody else made this stupid mental error that like took away from him um and i feel like in that situation i mean everybody's been on a team where there was like there was one guy that was just kind of trash and just dragged the, the team down whether that's sports or 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 anything else everybody's experienced that and it's one of those things where like you've got your your buddies on the team you got the other people who are pulling their weight who are doing their job you, like you just feel i know i feel like this um in certain situations like you feel bad for those people who you know do something really great and then because somebody else is being stupid or lazy or they don't care or whatever it means that that doesn't matter anymore i think it was that kind of like that's what he meant when he said that was a very veiled way of just being like me and Travis against, and then there's everybody else and everybody else is trash. And Travis just made this crazy play that, which would have made everybody, you know, would have won us the game almost. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't his fault type of thing. So I understand where he was coming from, but it's one of those things too where like yeah a lot of the stuff that he said he should not have said he should have composed himself better but we've all been in those situations where we felt wronged or we felt hard done by when you put everything into it that you possibly have and because somebody else messed up you don't get the result that you felt like you deserved that is a tough pill to swallow and he's been swallowing it mostly all season um and so I understand I'm not going to let this cloud my view of him because at the end of the day, he's a competitor. He just wants to win games and he's doing everything he can. And his teammates are the ones that are letting him down. And he's kind of gone the entire season without saying anything. And this was just the straw that broke, that broke his back. Um, and so I understand it, but at the end of the day, also he's got to, He's got to compose himself a little bit more in the press conference on the field. It's right after it happened on the sideline when he's throwing his helmet and yelling, you know, I can understand that, but with Josh Allen and then, you know, with the media, I think he probably should have had a little bit more self-control there. Um, but also it's understandable. Like it's tough. So at, at the end of all of that, for me, Kadarius Tony is the one that's on the hot seat. Um, and maybe you could put Mahomes, you know, whoever else, but for me, you just got to line up. <laughs> you got to be able to line up on, uh, on side, my guy. Yeah. To me, it's like, I guess what I just keep coming back to is like, you see the picture, you know, it's all over. He's clearly offside. The argument can't be that they can't call that because the play was cool. So my my hot seat of Mahomes is strictly post-game commentary. Like you said, I get the in-game frustration because, like you said, we've all been there in whether it's work, a sport, a video game, whatever. We've all balled out. Well, <laughs> maybe you have, but <laughs> we've all been in. I think in those positions where it's like, Oh, I just killed it. And then look at this 
trash ass dude weighing me down, I'd be succeeding. You know, I we get it. And and obviously Mahomes can't just come out into the press. Well, he can. That would that would be a different kind of hot seat. <laughs> if he comes out into the presser and just is just like, man, we would have won that game if I didn't have such bum ass receivers. Kadarius Tony, dumb as hell. Like that would be different. Um, you can't say that, but that's what the helmet throw is probably about. But to then shift tempo on the refs, like, come on. It's it's like one of the longest standing tropes in sports, right? Lose the game, blame the refs. Like, it's so done to death that to, like, see it still go that route is just kind of comical at this point. But, yeah, uh, I feel like the whole situation is worth addressing for the hot seat, though we can kind of go back and forth on who to single out for it. But what else is comical? Well, I don't know. Maybe it'll be comical. Maybe it'll just be informative. You never really know until it happens. It's Dave's fun fact of the episode. What is it this time? All right. Fun fact for episode 69. Um, no, it. I didn't just say the name, the number of the episode because it has anything to do with it. Uh, we're very mature adults on this podcast. Um, so recently, uh, it's been a lot more common, or at least um, it's starting to be a thing where just normal civilians can go to space. Um, you know, Virgin Galactic, and then I know that there are a couple of other ones as well where super rich people can pay a, a whole lot of money and be able to go into outer space. And that just seems crazy. It seems absurd, otherworldly, potentially. Um, so just to put it in perspective um, of how far away <clears throat> outer space actually is, if you got in your car and you were able and gravity wasn't a thing, you could just drive straight up into the air, set it at, at you know, rev up to 60 and set it on cruise control. It would only take you an hour of driving to make it to outer space. I just thought that was such an interesting perspective on the fact that like i just drove to nashville the other day and it took me like four hours of driving <laughs> mostly exceeding the speeds of 60 miles per hour and i could have done that trip in a fourth of the time and made it all the way into outer space that just kind of blew my mind a little bit you could have been to space and back twice man and instead you choose nashville just go vertical Hey, that was to celebrate my boss winning an award that she deserved. Is she listening to this podcast? <laughs> my boss deserves every good thing that she has coming to her. Wink, ear pull. I mean, if she is, I mean, you can never be too careful, right? She knows that I have a podcast, so like it could happen. But anyway, that's that's the fun fact of the episode I, I i will also point out do not try this at home <laughs> we, we are not liable 
Yeah, it's really not that big of a deal if you put it into, <laughs> put it into perspective that way. It's just <clears throat> leaving the Earth's atmosphere. You have ten BD. <laughs> no, like it. It's actually like it wouldn't be if gravity wasn't a thing. We had flying cars. Like you could just go up there real quick. Like it's not it's not that bad of a drive. You know, there's probably not going to be too much traffic, so you don't have to worry about that. Um. Anyways, I think that's probably enough of that. Um. And that's probably going to be it for this episode. Um, appreciate you all listening. As always, uh, episode 70 will be coming out in a couple weeks' time. So make sure to keep an eye out for that one. Uh, not sure exactly what the main segment will be, but I know that we will be doing a top five, as we always do. So you can look forward to that. And because the next episode won't be coming out until after Christmas... Just want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, all of that. Uh, hope you enjoy your time. And uh, if you are one of the four lucky teams to be playing in a uh, a college football playoff semifinal, then best of luck to you. Uh, I will be sobbing into a glass of Pinot Grigio pro- probably, but you know that's that's not y'all's problem. That's my problem. So, and I will be crying into a glass of whiskey. It's just a matter of will those tears be happy ones or sad ones <laughs> once my game rolls around. But yes, from both members of the Mike and Dave podcast, happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Uh, enjoy the time with friends and family, you know, uh, and if you're seeing friends and or family, that can only mean one thing. There are life forms that you will be around that may or may not know about the Mike and Dave podcast, and you can promote that to them. Yeah. It's better to give than to receive, and what better gift could you possibly give than the new awareness of our podcast? Thank you very much. We appreciate you listening and any and all support that comes our way be that shares or likes on our social media at mike and dave pod or recommendations subscriptions five-star reviews on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts what have you whatever it is we appreciate it as long as it's positive episode 70 coming in about two weeks until that time this has been mike this has been dave and you've been listening to the mike and dave podcast